Hey, what's up? My name is Steven, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. And so last year, we did this series, Asking for a Friend, where we give you the opportunity to ask any question, completely anonymous, and we will do our best to answer some of the more prominent ones. And I really put myself um, at risk when I do things like this, because I want to hold to the integrity of what I said I was going to do, but then it can also put me on an island by myself, uh, and knowing like how I handled this uh, can cause... More questions, because how many of you know that when you answer one, like answer a child's question, what do they come back with? Another question. Now, I'm not calling you children, right? But anytime I get an answer for a question, I'm already thinking of another question to get more details, right? And so um, one of the questions that we had come in in a couple of different ways, and um, one of them, and I think going into next year, this is uh, really kind of timely, one of the questions was, um, why um, do Republicans get so mean um, around election time? Another question was, how can you be a Christian and vote Democrat? And there were some other questions politically related. And so, can you guys hear my heart beating through my microphone, right? Um, really, what the question underneath the question is, how do we reconcile faith and politics? And that this isn't something that we see the early church really having to deal with because they didn't have a choice. Like whoever was king or whoever was Caesar, they had no say in the matter that the person was put in place. And so there was no debate. There was no division on who you were rooting for to sit on the throne because you didn't get to decide. But here in our great country of America, and I'm so thankful for, we have a democracy where we get to play a role in that. And it's not just a right, it's also a responsibility. And so how do we steward that responsibility well with also stewarding the responsibility and the calling of being a follower of Jesus? And sometimes if we're not careful, we allow the political responsibility, right, to overshadow our Christian faith and responsibility. And these voices, not all the time, these voices can oftentimes overshout these voices. Now, going into 2024, we're a new church, and so we've not had to walk through a presidential election year before as a church. So this is gonna be something new for us. And I bet if we were to sit down and have a conversation together, most of us in this room have had some sour experiences with church members or other people who call themselves Christians during election time, right? Or if we've not experienced it, we've seen it from a distance, and we're like, why are they acting so crazy? And so how do we come to this understanding of reconciling our faith with our politics? And so are you guys with me? Yeah. All right, put your stones away, all right? 
email me at steven at ouravenuechurch.com, okay? Um, because I want to be open to dialogue. Now, I'm interpreting scripture of what God says and how I see the New Testament church leading and, and loving people and when it comes to authority. So there's some things that we have to understand in order to answer this question. We have to have some details, right? And so we have to understand the reality of authorities, Okay, we have to start there. We have to understand the reality of authorities and, and how we see it. Now, when we read scripture from Old Testament to New Testament, they were not living in a democracy. They were living in a monarchy to where the leadership was um, instilled into office either through inherited, they were like the son of the king. So when the king died, they became king or Caesar or they were appointed by, by a panel or by like elders of the country. They were appointed, but they weren't really, really ever elected. Whereas we understand that there is an election process. But even if you look all the way back at, a, at the beginning, all authority comes from who? God. Okay, And then in the very beginning, in Genesis, God delegated that authority to man. So when he created Adam and Eve, he placed them in the garden, and he gave them this word dominion. He gave them rule over all things. Now, we at times do not do so well with that dominion. But what we have to understand is that all authority unrighteous authority, righteous authority, elected authority, appointed authority, qualified authority, unqualified authority. When we look at scripture just here in a moment, we have to know that it was appointed by God. And Daniel recognizes this, okay? So when we look in the Old Testament and the children of Israel, God was their king, but they weren't satisfied with God being their king. They wanted a human king, just like all the other nations around them. And so God began to appoint kings. And so we see Saul as the first king of Israel. And a lot of times people not understanding that appointment will see Saul, the first king, as the people's king, that God didn't really select him, that the people wanted a king. And so Saul became king. But when you read the story of Saul, God tells Saul in his insecurity, did I not choose you to be king? And so we see Saul as the first appointed king by God, and then David is his successor, and then Solomon is David's successor. And so as we go through time, we see that, that as the king is following God, the people are following God. But then it gets to a point to where the kings have turned their hearts, and it causes the people's hearts to turn, and they become under the rule of Babylon. And this is where we see the story of, of, of Daniel take place and the prophet Daniel. And, and, and Daniel is um, taken away as some of the young men to the country of Babylon, to the nation of Babylon. And he is trained up in the ways of Babylonia, like in their history and their literature, and even some of their spells and, and their government and how they do things. And when, when the king had this dream, um, this is how Daniel approached the king in Daniel chapter 2, verse 37. And he says, your majesty, you are the greatest of kings. And what he's saying is, is at this time in the world, you are the greatest of all the nation's kings. And he says, the God of, the God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. And let's look at verse 38. It says what? 
He has made you the ruler. Now, that's probably hard for some people in that time to wrap their brain around that Nebuchadnezzar, this foreign ruler, that God has made him the ruler over all the inhabited world and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. And so this is a foreign king. This is a pagan king that is now ruling over God's people. And Daniel is saying, God put you there. Don't like to think that way, but since God put you there, and then, then Paul even echoes this in Romans chapter one or Romans chapter 13. It says, everyone, verses one and two, everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority. Everyone say all, right? Let's, let's get that bad taste out of our mouth, right? Let's get, it says, all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against God, what God has instituted and they will be punished. Now, there's no election, there's no democracy, there is monarchy. Here in modern day times in our country and in other countries around the world, there is democracy where there is elections, where there are elections, where we get to play a role and responsibility in it. So when we look and, and, and we see these, these leaders and these presidents and these kings put into office, what God is doing is he is delegating his authority to rule over the people is what Paul is saying. And a couple of things happen when God delegates his authority to people. When God delegates his, authorities, his authority to rulers of nations, rulers of states, of communities, a couple of things happen. One is this, when his authority is delegated, um, and this isn't on the screen, I just got this this morning, this is fresh off the grill. Um, it, it's, it's to reveal and deal with what's in the ruler's heart. Because when you are placed in a position of authority, there will be things come out that you have been trying to hide and there will be things that come out that you didn't know was there. And so when, when you are placed in that position of, thor of authority, God is going to bring some things that are hidden in your heart, whether it's pride, whether it's humility, whether it's compassion, whether it's selfishness or selflessness. For me, I didn't realize I had insecurity and pride in my heart. Like what I had thought, I'm super humble, trust everyone, like nobody's gonna like offend me or cause me to be insecure until we're trying to plant our church as a lead pastor. I've never been a lead pastor before. I've been an executive pastor. I don't understand. Like, and so I'm planting the church and we're trying to get started. And then I see that another church is coming to Murfreesboro and starting. Guess what happens to me? I get offended. I get insecure. But God, how could you, because I say all the time that it's what, kingdom over castles, kingdom over castles. It's kingdom over castle once I get my castle built. <laughs> right? But what God was doing in that moment is he was dealing with some insecurity and some pride that I did not even know it was there to one of my overseers like, boy, listen, God's trying to kill something in you. You better take care of it before it takes care of you. And I'm just like, all right. And I've had to deal with that. And so God will reveal and deal with the things in the leader's heart. But it also this, okay? It will also reveal, and he will also have to deal what's in our hearts as those who are under that leadership. 
We don't like to talk about that because there's more of us, more followers than there are leaders, right? And so God is wanting to deal, and that's why he brings King Nebuchadnezzar onto the scene is he wanted to deal and reveal with some of the things that were in the heart of his people, right? Is it pride? Is it loyalty? Is it humility? Excuse me, is it humility? Is it, is it rebellion? Is it repentance? Is it faith? Is it fear? What's in our heart? And so understanding all authority comes from God. Everyone say all. All right, let's, let's, let's remember that. So understanding the reality of authorities, but then we also have to understand our civic rights and responsibilities. We have to understand our civic rights as, as the citizens of this nation, we have rights that come as the benefits of being a part of this nation, praise God, that we're getting to worship together here without having to hide out, right? We have the freedom to choose our career path, to change our career path, to advance, that we have those freedoms to go when we want, where we want, within reason, right? So we have those rights, but we also have responsibilities. And we see in Mark chapter 12 that that Jesus is tested about some of these civil rights and responsibilities, and the religious leaders are trying to trick him, and there's some, there's some supporters of, this, of, of the Caesar that is there, and these religious leaders ask him this question, and he says, teacher, we know how honest you are, that you're impartial and you don't play favorites, you teach the way of God truthfully, now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we pay them? Jesus saw through the hypocrisy and he said, why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin and I'll tell you. And when they handed it to him, he asked, whose picture and titles are stamped on it? And they said, Caesar's. Well then, Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. And his reply did what? It completely amazed them. And so you, to understand a little bit of the context of this, when Rome went into a nation and conquered a nation, they governed a bit differently than other nations. When, when certain nations would go in, like, like Babylonia, when they went in, they completely destroyed the culture, their traditions, tried to force the inhabitants to worship their gods, their ways. But when Rome went into a nation and and gain control of it, they would allow the people there to continue in their traditions, to continue worshiping their gods, as long as they followed the Roman rules that they set up as far as civil life and paid taxes. And so what these religious rulers are trying to get Jesus to do is, is stumble over himself and trying to get him to rebel against the authority that God had placed over God's people in that moment. You're tracking with me. Because if he had said, no, you don't pay your taxes, guess what that is? That's, that's rebellion. And we're clearly seeing that we're not to rebel against authority. But he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Follow the laws that Caesar has set up, but also give to God what is God's. 
that there are things that, that, that the government cannot take from us, cannot direct from us, and we give those things to God. And so um, I'll, I'll go back and read Romans chapter 13, verses one through seven, and, and I wanna read it from the message paraphrase, okay? It's not on the screen, but I want you to hear some of the wording. A paraphrase is, is not a scholarly uh, translation, but it's putting it in modern day vernacular, and it says this in verse one, it says, just be a good citizen, all governments are under God insofar as there is peace and order. So live responsibly as a good citizen. If you're irresponsible to the state, then you're irresponsible with God, and God will hold you responsible. Duly constituted authorities are only a threat if you're trying to get away with something. If you're misbehaving, that's the only time they're a threat. Decent citizens shouldn't have any fear. Do you want to be on good terms with the government? then be a responsible citizen. In verse 670, he says, that's why you pay taxes, so that an orderly way of life can be maintained. Fulfill your obligation as a citizen. Pay your taxes and pay your bills and respect your leaders. Just so you know where my brain goes, pay your telephone bills, pay. My mind always goes to 90s hip-hop. I'm sorry, but pay your bills, pay your taxes, live. You're going to remember that. You're not going to remember the rest of the serving. You're going to go out singing Beyonce is what you're going to be doing. But live as a good citizen. Just follow the laws in so much as it does not hinder what you are to give to God. Follow the laws in so much as it does not hinder what you are supposed to give to God because we see the, the, even the apostles facing this with the religious leaders. The religious leaders, Pharisees and Sadducees, even though they were corrupt, had become, God set them up as a place of authority. And when the apostles were arrested for preaching the good news and the religious leaders said, hey, you gotta stop it, quit it, stop it, stop preaching, this was their response. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human authority. Now, Paul says this. He uses these words. The apostles say, we must obey God over human authority. But wait, Paul is saying, submit to all authority. There is a slight difference between obey and submit. You can disobey and still have to submit. Because when you disobey, what comes after the disobeying? There's what? Man, you, this is not a trick question, all right? When you messed up as a kid, you got a whooping, right? You got in trouble, all right? You got grounded. There is a consequence, okay? There's this, there's this, this term called civil disobedience. And that's when you disobey something, knowing that there's a consequence and you are submitting to that consequence. And so what the apostles are saying is, look, we have to obey God rather than you, but we're still submitting to you because you keep reading on. In other instances, it says they are flogged as a result. They are punished as a result. So they submitted to the punishment. They disobeyed the leadership, submitted to the punishment, but guess who they were ultimately still obeying? God. So when we look at this, our responsibility is to submit to governing authorities, but ultimately to obey God. Tracking with me? 
still with me? All right. So how does this work out when it comes into to understanding our civil responsibilities, rights, and we also have to understand our spiritual responsibilities? Peter and the apostles understood that their spiritual responsibilities were greater than their civil responsibilities. And Paul says this in 2 Corinthians verses eight and nine. He says, listen, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. Now, as followers of Christ, we should understand that our citizenship in any country is temporary, that our permanent ultimate citizenship is not here, but it's in heaven. And so what Paul is saying is, look, whether we are in this body, walking around in our earthly citizenship, or we are outside of this body, enjoying our heavenly citizenship, Regardless of where we're at in citizenship, our ultimate responsibility is to please him. Spiritual responsibility trumps civil responsibility. And we know that our spiritual responsibility, Jesus says this before he is ascended. He says, he tells the apostles, he says, to go where? Into all the world, baptizing in my name, telling people what I told you, and teach them to obey everything I have taught you spiritual responsibility. Paul says this in, in St. Corinthians. He says that we are God's ambassadors as followers of Jesus, that we have been given a message of reconciliation, reconciling humanity to God through the gospel and the good news. What is that? That is our spiritual responsibility. It supersedes our civic responsibility. Now, now I'm not saying that like, like we should not be involved in politics. I'm not saying that we should not vote, that we should not pursue even a career in politics, but those things should never supersede our responsibility and how we live our life in pleasing him in relationship with other people. Because we know from Old Testament to New Testament, believers were involved in politics. Joseph was elevated to the second highest in command in all of Egypt. Guess what that is? Politics. And he saved a nation. God restored his family. Daniel was called the chief magician. Imagine if a believer got a job today and the title was chief magician. You would resign because of the title. But guess what Daniel had been given? He'd been given influence within politics. And, and, and we look at titles and we look at parties and we forget that as believers, we have influence there. And what happens though, so, so how do we reconcile? Okay, our spiritual responsibilities always trump our civic rights and responsibilities, no pun intended, all right? We interject, this is what happens. We interject our faith into politics, but we guard our faith from politics, Okay, we interject our faith, our belief, our values in politics, but we do not allow the reverse. Because when you allow the reverse, things get contaminated. Think about a water filter. Like you don't, you don't want it coming back because when it's coming back, like as water's going through the right way, it's filtering the water, taking out all the impurities, but you don't want it coming back because if it's coming back, it's bringing all the impurities with it, 
right? And so we want to interject and bring our faith into politics, but we do not, listen church, we do not wanna bring politics into our faith. We wanna put on lenses of faith as we are operating and praying and voting and, and interacting through faith, but we never wanna put on our red and blue goggles when it comes to, to, to bringing it into the faith, right? Because then that is a skewed perception. That is a skewed perception. So, so how do we do this? All right, I'm gonna give you a few quick, quick things. How do we interject our faith into politics? The first thing is this, is we choose kingdom over nation. I'm thankful, proud, I'm not gonna sing it, but as Lee Greenwood said, I'm proud to be an American, right? But we choose the kingdom of God over the nation that we're a part of. Because the kingdom of God is never ending. At some point, America will fall just like Rome fell. At some point, other nations will fall just like Rome fell, as we're reading in the New Testament, like they never thought that. But the kingdom of God will stand. And Jesus, when he came, he tried to get people to understand this. He tried to get people to understand that he's not coming just to set up an earthly kingdom because the disciples are like, hey, when you get to your throne, when you get to your place of authority, can I sit on the right or the left? He says, you don't understand what you're asking. And then even when he's on trial, Pilate is asking him, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus doesn't say yes. He says, you have said so. And then he says that, that my kingdom is not of this what world. Said, you don't understand. And so we choose the kingdom of God over the nation. And we are one nation under God, but also have to understand this, like we are not God's nation. We're one nation under God, but Israel is God's, God's nation. We get the benefits as believers from that. The second thing is this, is um, we choose Christian witness over political power. I'm sweating up here. <laughs> we choose Christian witness over political power. That our message of reconciliation as an ambassador of Christ is way more valuable to this nation than the party that you affiliate with. The message that you have, your testimony, what God is doing in your life is way more valuable to this nation and the people around you than the message and the platform of any political, political member that we could vote for. And so we choose our Christian witness over the political power. Paul says this, and, 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 and as a lead pastor, you will never know how I vote. I'm not gonna tell you. Because I don't want our difference in opinions on that to cause you to close a door in receiving anything that I say. Because that is secondary to the truth that I speak to you. Is it important how I vote? Absolutely. But Paul says this, right? He says in, in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8, he says, if eating meat causes someone to stumble, I'll never eat meat again. And so if my alignment with a political party causes you to stumble or causes you to have bitterness in your heart or causes you not to receive the word of God, I'm not gonna really align with any political party because the gospel message to me is more important, it being received, than you knowing who and how I vote for. And I would say that, that you can, let me just say this, all right? Let me step into this for a minute. We should be very, very careful Okay, 
look at me, all right? We should be very, very careful how much we promote a political figure. We may completely agree with a lot of their platform, but you can never fully know their character. And so you're not just aligning with a platform, you're aligning with someone's character. Now listen, if your best friend runs for president, put, your st- put their stickers all over, their, like, all over your car. Like wear the t-shirt, wear the buttons, because you know this person inside and out. We've got a kids worker that was on our team in, at Love and Truth in Jackson, and she has started pursuing the political path. And like, I could, like, I'm not even in Jackson, but if she has stickers, I'm gonna put them on my car because I know her character. Regardless of the party that she's for, I know her character and I know what her heart is intentioned for, right? And so we pursue Christian witness over political power. We choose people, listen, we choose people over parties. And what I mean by that is guess who's in the political parties? People. Guess who the candidates are? People. And and this is how Jesus saw people, okay? We have to realize that those across the party lines from us, they are people. And if they are believers, this is what Paul says. He says, it does not matter if you're circumcised, uncircumcised, doesn't matter if you're barbaric, civilized, doesn't matter if you're Jew, Gentile. All that matters for those of us that are believers is guess what? Christ in us. That's what matters is Christ in us. That's how we see people across the party lines. We see Christ in them first. Do we agree with everything they stand for? Probably not. Do I agree with everything? Probably not. But I see Jesus in them and trusting that God's working in their life. Now, for someone who's an unbeliever, it can be really easy, those of us who have been walking with Jesus for a little while and we're heavily involved with politics and we're following CNN or Fox or you know whatever, we can look at those that are not believers that are promoting bills and laws and these values that are against Christian values and we can villainize them. But that's not what Jesus did. When you see in Matthew, he's with the disciples and it says that he looked And he turned and he saw the crowd and what did he have for them? Compassion. Because they were like lost sheep, confused without a shepherd. And so we look at those, whether we agree with their politics, we see them lost, we see them with the eyes of compassion and understanding that God loves them despite their views, as much as he loves us. Does that make sense? So we choose people over parties. And, and, and I just had a conversation this, this week with a gentleman, and he was reminded of seeing these uh, stickers that said, you know, let's go Brandon, you know, or the other way, like very vulgar bumper stickers about those that are in leadership. But then there would also be a Jesus is Lord sticker on the trunk of the car as well. You can't do both. You can't say Jesus, Paul, you know, James even says this. You can't have fresh water and salt water come out of the same mouth. Because if it's fresh water and salt water, guess what it is? Salt water. Right? You can't have both. And so we have to be very careful in how we relate to people in the parties. And then lastly is this. Um... We have to choose trust over panic. 
at the end of the election, regardless of who's elected, we go back to understanding the reality of authority. We choose trust over panic. And when Trump was elected, half the country was panicking. When Biden was elected, half the country is panicking. We're going into the new election, the whole country's panicking, right? <laughs> Everyone's panicking. But what we do is we line up with the word of God. When Daniel tells the king of Babylon, God puts you here. He's made you ruler over even the animals. Paul says, all authority comes from God. And we have to trust God's kingdom was here before we got here. It's moving, it's growing, it's in progress. God's kingdom is gonna continue even after we're here, regardless of the delegated authority, because that authority is delegated and delegated authority doesn't last forever. It goes to someone else. And so we don't panic. Next year, I don't want any panic. We're not gonna freak out. We're gonna trust God that regardless of how great it gets or how bad it gets, God is still in control. God is still in control. And in 2008, um, in 2008 when Obama was first elected and like probably half of you weren't even like legal, like old enough to vote in this room. I'd been a youth pastor for about six years at this point. And I get a phone call the day after the election and one of the senior saints in the church, the Lord had told her that I'd voted for Obama. And I'm not gonna tell you who I voted for because I didn't tell her. And she was like, I know you voted for Obama. Tell me you voted for Obama. And I'm like, I'm not telling you who I voted for. And she's like, well, if you voted for Obama, I can't stay at this church. And I was like, are you, I'm not, I'm the youth pastor. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not the lead pastor. And, and she was like, I know, I know you and Miss Kathy, who is the children's pastor. The Lord told me that y'all voted for Obama and you're going against what God wants you to do. And I was like, I'm not telling you who I voted for. And she said, well, if, if you voted for Obama, you're part of the reason he's in the White House right now. And that's abomination. And I was like, ma'am, McCain won Tennessee. So I'm pretty sure that even if I did vote for Obama, it didn't help. So it didn't, it, it didn't play a role. And she slammed the phone down, hung up, and left our church and took people with her as a result. And I, one of the last things I asked her, I said, so, so are you telling me that the time I've spent the last six years pouring into our kids, pouring into our teenagers, the conversations, the prayers, the tears, all the things, that one vote undoes all of that. One vote undoes all of that. And she's like, absolutely. And what's happened in America is politics has become an idol. And scripture says very clearly that we are to flee the worship of idols. Now, I'm not saying don't be involved. That is not what I'm saying. Some of you in this room, God may call you into politics to be a congressman or whatever, and I will pray for you, I will support you, because I know you. And I would trust God's heart is working through you but we don't make an idol of it. And so we place kingdom over our nation. We interject, interject our faith into politics, but don't allow politics to contaminate our faith. And I'll, I'm gonna end with this. 
couple of verses from Philippians chapter one. And, and if you understand Philippians, um, Philippi was pretty proud of their citizenship of Rome. They were Roman citizens. They were proud to be Romans. They carried on the traditions. They followed the law to a T. And so Paul is going in, starting a church, and people are getting saved. And there's a little bit of political unrest of what's going on between them. And this is what, what Paul tells them, verse 27. Above all, live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. And conducting is actually a political term, and conducting business and ordering people. Conduct yourself in a manner that is worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing, listen to this last line, that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. We should never stop fighting together for the faith, which is the good news, church. We should never fight each other over a political reason. We should continue to fight together for the good news because there are people out there who could care less who's in office that are dying and going to hell and we're fighting over something that doesn't really matter in the end. It does matter. But like in eternity in individuals' lives, that is the greater thing. That is the greater thing. That is what we fight for, not against each other. Because it's the gospel message that changes lives. It's the gospel message that changes lives. Laws and all these things, they put guardrails around and direct, but it's the gospel message that changes lives. And that's what I want us to be about. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, I come to you this morning, God. And God, I thank you for hard conversations, but I also thank you for hard truths. And God, I pray that for us as Avenue Church, even as a young church growing in influence in this community and in the lives of the people in this community, that we would make the main thing the main thing. That we would live, as Paul says, that above all else, live as citizens of heaven. That our rights and responsibilities that are heavenly are far greater than what we get to enjoy or in some parts of the world endure that your kingdom has started, it is in motion, and it is everlasting. And so God, I would even say that, that for those in this room that maybe you have placed a dream in hearts to get involved, to make a difference from a political standpoint, God, I pray that you would just guard their hearts in this room. Um, God, that you would show them the direction to go, that you would show them the path to take, that you would put the right counsel around them. God, I don't know who that is, but I just sense strongly that there may be somebody in, in this service that you've been dealing with them and maybe even at the local level to get involved, but they're uncertain that God, that they would see it as an opportunity, not just to make a, a change, but to make you known. And they would trust you in it, God. God, for the rest of us, as we go into um, 2024, that could be a very pivotal political season for our country, that we would not panic, but we would trust you 
and live to the calling that you've called us as your ambassadors and share the message of reconciliation above all else. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.